Alchemists, friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and guy who loves looking at the dead bodies of children. Not Alex Dandito. That's not a thing. Maybe? No. Maybe? No. Does he have alibis? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Before I did oh, I like the little finger. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Move on. Let's Lady in the Tramp Spaghetti this. I'm over. <laughs> before today's possibly revealing episode on Alex, a little business, people, it's official. We're on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Pod. The best way to support the show. The best way to grow the show. But more importantly, the best way to get the most out of the show for yourself. See, it's a selfish thing to help us out. That's how we're pitching it now. We have a huge library of Patreon-exclusive episodes. If you like what we do, tons of really good episodes over there that's growing all the time. If you're one of our patrons, you get a vote on those. Uh, We ask opinions for curations. We really try to take in our Patreon community over there to uh, help dictate the kind of show that we're doing. Uh, We have miniseries going on that are cool. We're right now on hiatus on our Tales from the Crypt miniseries. It's been going really well. We have some other cool ideas Alex and I have talked about that we want to get in over there. You can even have us record a double feature that you program yourself. So again, that's patreon.com slash Pod. the best way to show your love for the show. If you can't help financially, I understand that, right? And not everyone can help financially. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. You can share everything on all, we're on all the socials, you're on all the socials, so you can share stuff on your favorite social media platform and follow the show. Tell your friends about us. You can text an episode to a friend, right? That stuff's all free and easy. Helps the show out, right? You can uh, make sure you leave five-star ratings and reviews everywhere you find the pod. Uh, Alex and I love seeing those come in. It's really nice uh, to see that people are digging the show. So yeah, do that everywhere. Those are all free and easy ways to help the show. If you just want to contact us, right, you have anything you want to hit us up with, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. All right. Today, the pod's on summer break. Again, we're doing a lot of these before we fully workshop the titles, but this is a curation about those wonderful childhood summers, right? School's out forever. The pod's out of school. The pod's on summer break. We'll have it figured out by then. But yes, it's that magical time. This one. Yeah, we like to workshop in front of you guys, right? It's like that line in 21 Jump Street where Channing Tatum sees improv for the first time. Yeah. And he goes, that was great. You know what would make it better? Is if you had thought it out beforehand, written it down, and practiced <laughs> Which is still one of the fun. I used to do improv, but that is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever heard in my life. Um, but yeah, it's that magical time when you're a kid, you get out of school. And you're like, holy shit, I have my whole life now. I am completely free because the shackles of school have been shed. And this wonderful time of bonding and friendship and adventure, right? Uh, that we all had as kids that, that we really remember. So we're starting with one of the best movies in this genre to me. Stand By Me. Right? Wonderful uh, tale of a bunch of little kids. This really good friend group that you love. Going through hideous emotional abuse at the hands of their family and trying to see a dead body of another kid who got run over by a train picking fruit if i remember right uh traumatized by key i mean an an all-star stacked cast i'll be honest with rob reiner directed i didn't know there was a reason for the kid getting until the watching this i did not yeah it's not it's just like we'll get to this but this movie is just unrelentingly pursuing and killing 
John Wayne Gacy style, the innocence of children in yes. this movie. Um, but it's just, it's, it's this Stephen King short story that just has Stephen King-isms all over it. It's almost Lifetime It, right? Like, it has a lot of parallels with the movie It, story-wise. Sure. Um, but it's just, it, it, it still captures this magic, despite all of the fucking horrors these children are suffering. So, Alex, open us up on Stand By Me. Yeah, I mean, I... I think I saw Stand By Me when I was much younger than I should have been, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I didn't understand. Well, as a kid, what... it seems like a fun romp. <laughs> I didn't understand what I was watching at first. And I came in towards the end. Because, again, like many children my age, or maybe not, I saw a lot of movies on TV, mm -hmm. like with commercial yeah. breaks and shit. So, like, you catch things at a certain time. So, like, I probably came in during the campfire scene when Gordy's telling the story about Lardass. Ah, love that. So that was my first experience watching this movie. So I only watched, like, half of it the first time that I mm -hmm. saw the movie. Um, obviously, on subsequent viewings, I'll see more. But, yeah, I mean, it is like this. It's interesting, like. It's this strange coming of age thing, but I also realize, other than like carrying around a gun, there are some extremes in this movie that I'm not sure I necessarily did when I was a kid, but otherwise, I did a lot of this stuff. Like we camped out yeah. and we like were like, hey, let's let's all pack our bags and go do stuff. And like we went to like the there was a like in Aurora where I was growing up in in Ohio, there was a lot of like it was still undeveloped, a lot of like um, yeah. A lot of land so what you could do is ride your bikes and we did this a lot was basically we'd like cross the creek with our bikes and then just ride around the open plains which was really cool and yeah. that felt like we were doing something like akin to this like a little dangerous we weren't necessarily you on a mission to see a dead a body classic american explorer yeah That's yeah we, were, <laughs> we weren't necessarily on a mission to see a dead body but we like just wanted to get out of the house and you know that was but would you, you have know, gone to see a dead body as a kid? No, absolutely not. Oh, I for sure would have. No. I'll tell you we what. would have been like, let's go throw stuff at it. There is that something the about we that were. that's like not peak. That's something about that particular thing that just does not pique my curiosity. And I don't know if that's it's, the, the grisly nature it is a of funny, it. funny. Yeah. Well, especially I forgot like how they just kind of hold the camera on this dead kid. Yeah. As I remembered it, it was like you saw him obscured under some shrubbery, right? Yeah. But they fucking drop him on Front Street in this one. Mm -hmm. And I think watching it today, I was struck by that this is much less a coming-of-age story. Yeah. This is a slaughter of innocence. Yeah. there's no Right? So every character in this movie, it is, what is the little bit of childhood in it? So they set it in this magical moment of childhood, right? Where it's he, he says that line in the, the last line of the movie, right? is like, I never had friends like I did when I was 12. And then he said, Jesus, who does? And we don't, right? That's like the happiest times in our life. We have enough agency to do cool shit, but we can love and befriend unconditionally, right? Yeah. And it's one of the superpowers of the movie is I love watching these guys support each other. Like really kind of ahead of the curve stuff is like how emotionally supportive they are. Yeah. Right. And then they always address it with the line, I guess I'm a pussy, huh? So like they know they're not supposed to be as supportive of each other as they are in the climate, mm -hmm. right? Like, me and my friends were not that way with each other because it was just a thing. If you showed weakness or sympathy or emotions, you got brutally mocked and, and harassed. Um, 
so it has that thing but then it also has this just this ruthless nature of taking that away so we are we are at the precipice right we are walking the good times of childhood that this movie is using as set dressing and we are walking it to the gallows to murder it in front of all of our eyes right it's yeah a, a coming of age is like probably the kindest way you could put this but yeah to me it's well imagine if coming of age was like a sad thing not like oh you're a man now like oh you're a man i mean to be honest with you (laughs) this is something that i think is really fascinating about the term coming of age and like this kind of story formatting at no point it's not all come it's not all come that's what they never told us (laughs) at no point have i ever watched a coming of age story and been like wow how sweet and saccharine like there are no good coming of age stories like Everything about coming of age sucks. So, like, because when you're of age, we all know now. Like, right. Like, this is the well, thing about some of them set dress it as like, oh, it's an accomplishment. You you've done something to become like an adult, and now this one is yeah, just no. like no, no. so There's, much meaner. Well, so, like, the other part of it too is like, to me, stories like this, especially when people look back, is you're like, that person's life is not great now. Like, this is probably yeah. the only time I'm like, okay, well, like chambers and gordy seem to work it all seemed to work out kind of um like everybody Burn did, is a forklift driver with yeah, kids basically, he's probably all right he's just a basically normal everybody everybody but teddy got out of the coming of age scot-free um teddy's struggling yeah yeah but yeah the whole idea of coming of age is so just like it is it is it's terribly terrible. funny right because we yeah. do this thing where like we insult people now for having like peter pan syndrome right yeah, like These the, men that just want to remain boys. They don't want to do man shit. Disney adults. Like work jobs we call, they we call them. We call them Disney adults. Yeah, and spank their children with belts and, you know, do, do grown-up man shit, right? Read tax forms. And it's like, have you guys ever read Peter Pan? The whole point is like, you don't want to be Peter Pan, but you also don't want to become the hardened fucking crusty you don't want to be, pirates. You also don't want to be Captain Hook. They have no joy, right? You're supposed to be in the middle. You're supposed to be Peter Pan who can go to your work and, yeah. like, pay your bills. <laughs> Right. You want to be in the middle. But this idea that like we just all it's it's that terrible quote that people always say. And I'm like, you know who says that the people you would never want to have a drink with because they lecture you about, oh, you don't get up at 4 a.m. It's the uh, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Right. And now I just do manly things or whatever that fucking quote is. Anyone who's ever said that is like I did something good is a person you would never spend any time with willingly. I don't want to hear about people that are just like, I'm great. I fucking conquer the day. I rise and shine. I'm on the grind. Like, those people are fucking unbearable. Yeah. You know why they're up at 5 a.m. grinding? Because they have no friends. Because no one invites them out to hang out, right? (laughs) That's why they're on Instagram all day is because they're seeking friends that they can't have because no one wants to be at the bar and someone say, oh, how's your ab routine going? Like, no. To be fair. I'm up at 5 a.m. grinding this out. Hey, come on. You are you are like the, the, the artistic grinder. I don't know what that means. You're a hipster grinder, and that works. We are we are like early morning, like you doing and I, artistic. You we're, and we're I are, art, you and I are we're po- artists. You and I are pour over coffee. Is that what you're saying? We're pour over yeah. coffee in the Silver Lake neighborhood. We That's like good. to get up early so that we can brood before our family wakes up and demands things of us. That's oh, how real men. I will say. I that's truly, how Peter Pan men. <laughs> there is something about the. I'm sorry. This is an aside, but there is something truly magical about doing it this early in the morning because I do have like this time to myself where I'm like. Yeah. Oh. And then I invade it. 
and say that you like looking at dead children's bodies. No, no, no. And this is like, we... <laughs> but this is like part of the respite. Like I do this yes. pod, I feel accomplished for the day, and then yes. I like sit around uh, and. You I know... know that we hide from the moniker of true artist, but we are what we are, Alex. Shut We're up! Truly, Don't ever say artiste. that again. We are men of high taste and and high. <laughs> You can't even finish the so sentence. Stupid. You couldn't even finish the sentence. Those are other people you don't want to hang out with, You right? could not finish the I sentence. I, I think people who just are like, I'm an artist, as a way to explain away the things they do is just such a fucking C-word behavior. Yeah, Neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about that. But I think there there is this funny, because the movie shoots right. It has a lot of that kind of soft focus, really exposed. Like, Carrie does this really well, right? Where it's that kind of visualization and then you mix it with these traumatic end of uh, childhood innocent moments, right? Yeah. The other thing is that this movie is also a coming of age romance story, right? With Chris and Gordo, right? Yeah. These two are more than friends, right? It, when I watch this movie, these two are clearly on the edge of a romantic dalliance, right? If they love each other in a way that they don't understand yet. So another way that their childhood innocence is ending because they're coming into their sexual phases, right? And I think these two really have this this romantic entanglement that neither of them fully understand or know how to engage with. Right? So all these things that are right at the edge. But what we're we're rooting for these kids as they are, right? We're rooting for Chris and Gordon um even if you don't read it as a you know, young gay relationship. We're rooting for that friendship because of how supportive and loving they are of each other, right? And the movie is just relentlessly attacking that. From Gordon dealing with the death of his older brother, who is a more traditional football star, all-American kid. Right. Where he's having nightmares of his dad saying it should have been you. He has that great line I love where he's like, I became a ghost boy over the summer. Right, where his parents don't even recognize him because his older brother died. And the only time his dad talks to him is to say, hey, why can't you be like your dead brother? Right? Your friends suck. Denny's friends were great. Uh, from Chris Chambers dealing with the, he he got fingered for a crime he didn't do stealing the lunch money because some fucking shitty teacher did. Right. And we watch him break down crying like, who would have thought a teacher would not, I mean, an institution of like safety when you're a kid is you assume teachers have your best interests at heart, right? Right. He has to realize he's not and that he's Chris Chambers from the wrong side of the track. So to where he's crying, I want to live where no one knows me, right? Teddy having to confront that his dad is not a war hero, but actually tried to kill him, burned his ear off, and is now in an asylum. Yeah. Right? And even Vern, whose older brother is fucking stealing cars and masking dead bodies, he's mostly all right. He's just looking for pennies, but he's also ruthlessly tormented for his body and his naive, positive childhood outlook. So this movie's just coming for everyone. Yeah. it's And not... it's, it's so much more threatening than i remember it I, you know what's interesting i think when i was young when i was younger i when i found out it was a stephen king story i was like oh okay now now as an older guy that makes sense because of yeah. the ever looming day <laughs> plus they do the castle rock yeah it's in that kind of doo-woppy phase where he loves to set his stories Kiefer sutherland is exactly like henry bowers right the knife and the i mean there's a lot of parallels to it and Stephen King that I never really picked. I, I used to be like, oh, this is such an outlier for Stephen King. And now I'm like, nope, that's exactly no, what No, this is Stephen exactly King the move. <laughs> like, like, 
know what's interesting is actually if you read for me reading on writing was very revealing oh it's one of my favorite books yeah it's one of my favorite books and it was very revealing in terms of understanding stand by me because so many of the stories especially at the beginning of the book about his early life felt like they were straight out like this is gonna sound stupid i know i've talked about this on this on this pod before but that story of his babysitter farting on him is the kind of stuff that I'm like, that's odd. The Not- Norman Rockwell uh, facade with the fucking brutal, horrifying, horrifying. <laughs> is that yeah. some cream? Ah! Yeah, kind and of. he's like, the stand. Wait, the stand. Yeah, exactly. Your fart knocked loose the stand. In <laughs> but like, What if the world of- was killed by a chemical attack? It's like that kind of stuff that's like nearly threatening. It's not threatening because yeah. it's the farts, but like it's nearly threatening because like you have a, someone, you have Andy. a... You have a babysitter. Your babysitter's supposed to be like another protector in your life, like somebody who's right. supposed to help you. And instead, they're basically like, it's like if you early enough see that people, like adults, are not these monoliths in your mind. Like for me, right. when I was a kid, like adults were adults strong like, they know everything they know They'll every be thing. fucking nights when the danger comes they're yeah. supposed to be yeah like they're supposed to be the ones who and i think that's the crazy thing like not now that you're a parent it's different but like when you're older you actually do see your parents for like you know like i love my mom and dad but they're also human beings like there are flaws in logic that they just like yeah that's what it is well it, it's funny because yeah like when my parents split right my dad just left right I still thought my mom was like the most perfect being in the universe, of right? Course. Absolutely. And to this day, I'm obsessed with my mother. Like, I love no one on earth as much as my mother, right? Right. Even my own wife, who I love dearly, I'm still like a mama's boy. Sure. But once you get old enough that you have your own kids and this and that, you're like, oh, they're just other people. Yeah. That don't know shit. Exactly. And now I'm a dad, and you're like, I'm a dad who doesn't know shit. And you're like, what if a dragon was trying to get my kid? Would I have the fucking forearm strength to wrestle that dragon into submission you're like probably not yeah but maybe it would get choke on my fat it's, body while my kids can run away it's a strange and that, that, thing. that yeah that but see this is the thing right there's this this chant now in the horror community right that all horror is political which is kind of this response to a lot of people who don't like horror movies that are you know telling stories about sexuality and this and that right um alternative lifestyle Every good horror story is a destruction of status quo, right? And Stand By Me is absolutely that. Totally. And so, and again, I don't even think it's a horror film, but it has those elements of it. No, I mean. So if if every horror film is not fully political, it's at least. It's at least social commentary. It at least has to be, yeah, commentary or philosophical in a way about how we're living. But that's exactly, like, that's exactly what Stand By Me is. Like, Stand By Me is about. It is crushing the status quo of a kid who is at the precipice of becoming a crushed adult. Yeah, exactly. You are on the edge. He's everyone's standing on the edge of summer. And that's like the hardest thing about being young and being like in this like situation where you might not, you might not recover from something like this. Like there's, and you won't. But this is and the, you probably won't. Right, probably not. But like this is also when you realize you know, this is what we were just talking about. This is when you realize that adults are completely fallible. Like they're not these great protectors or these, you know, absolutely unflappable human beings of logic and reason. 
they're just human beings and they right and in this movie they're almost non-existent yeah and not only are they almost non-existent but also they are almost all horribly flawed in every single way we essentially see two right or we see three we see the guy at the junkyard yeah who's just like i'm gonna rip this kid a new one about his shitty dad just because he stepped on my just because he stepped on my property yeah granted they did start going at his weight pretty hard and Feldman gives off that kid that you would want to throw rocks at, but you can't because you're a grown-up. <laughs> so I don't really, like, fully blame that guy for going in on him, right? Don't You don't want none, don't start none, right? Sure, I guess. We see Gordo's dad, who is so distraught over Denny that he can't appreciate the son he has. There's even that wonderful scene, right? Because Cusack plays an ultra-lovable guy, and he just is that guy. Everyone loves Cusack. Yeah. But he has that scene where he's like, are you ready for the football game? And his mom's like, you going out? And he's like, don't talk about girls. Let him focus. And then he's like, hey, have you read Gordon's story? It's really good. And his dad's like, see, he's not fo-. like he, he didn't see Gordo when he was still normal. Right. So now he only sees him. And it's it's this, you know, fucking hateful thing, which as a parent, you re- recoil at. Right. Honestly, as anyone, we all had parents. Well, it's also, just like, what a fucking shitty thing. It's also and that then, yeah, guy the guy too. in the store who's just like, hey, remember how good your brother was? Yeah, Jesus. And it's like, leave that fucking kid alone and get the turkey. You know what? Get the fucking bologna slices and shut up, old man. Can't you see this kid's fucking going through it? Yeah. But I also love the idea we just take them out, right? And then we put a young adult, Kiefer Sutherland, and his gang there. And mm-hmm. it's the movie reminding us again, no one can save you. When, that, when life comes for your innocence. No one can save you. Like, you're going to have to become an adult that addresses the horrors of the world. And your parents can't save you from that forever. No. Right? Well, Burns think- got his little fucking Pugsley Adam outfit on, so you're like, it seems like his mom is helping. Her oldest son is dressing nice, even though he's a fucking Cobras. <laughs> you know? I think... But it's they- like, even that, like, it's gonna well, What happen. I like is all these adults are... All the adults are fairly, other than obviously the junkyard guy, all the adults yeah. are fairly non-threatening. It's just they're threatening in the way that like we know how thre- how threatened children feel. Right. What I think's interesting is once they're out on the journey, the threat is the the threat is just the real world, and it's the it's repl- it's replacing this like threat of home life or anything like that with oh. We might get run over by a train if we're not careful. Like these things that like as adults, we all have yeah. logic not to put ourselves in that situation. Now I'm not saying not all, all adults don't do that, but like, yeah, most, most people would not walk along train tracks because you know, we're just like, eh, it's not a great idea. That probably is. That probably would not work out. Right. But in Teddy in that moment, right. I love how it's paired with the famous train bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Because Teddy's like, I'm going to jump it thinking it'll be this cool thing. Yeah. And then later is confronted with the actual realities of jumping it. And I love that. I think this will be cool because I'm a kid. And then pairing it with a holy fucking shit. We about watched. Honestly, too, I was like, Gordo, fucking leave Vern. <laughs> if someone's that fucking helpless, you just leave them behind. I know that's a terrible thing to say because we're supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to help out and be heroic. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I geez. would like to say, because that's the thing. I'm afraid of heights. We just went to a fucking... <laughs> play at the butler theater right the, mm-hmm. the Klaus auditorium or whatever it is yeah, yeah and my mom and her husband steve right they got these fucking tickets they're like we're on the third balcony very front row so you have this great view yeah as soon as i walked up there i guess they didn't realize how tremendously bad my fear of heights is 
So I got this like almost vertigo. I'm sweating. I'm fucking screaming at everyone in my row to stop looking over the railing. <laughs> to the point where like we had to leave the auditorium and then thank God it wasn't sold out. We were just able to walk down to the front like main floor and get it. But it was just this, if I was on that bridge, like that scene gave me fucking heart palpitations, right? Yeah. I'm very afraid of heights and I'm very claustrophobic. So I was like, I probably would have been Vern on that bridge. And I would expect nothing of my friends. I would be like, I'm just going to watch your asses run <laughs> as I get fucking creamed by this train because I can't run. <laughs> as a friend, I would not expect them to get fucking creamed with me. I'd be like, let me fucking get splattered. But so see, that I... was my one critique of that scene is in my heart. I was just like, run, go ahead and run. <laughs> that's, but that's your, that's the adultism. Like, that's that adult. Like, I would expect my friends to let me die. Right, but when as my young. bones and legs are shaky and I'm glued, because there's no way I could run across that. Right, bridge. but when I'd you're younger, this is like the other thing too. Is when you're, this is to me, that's agreed, like 100. percent That's the logic of the situation. I couldn't do it. I'm dead. When you're young like that, though, there is that invincibility you still have. Like there's something about when you're a kid, you don't realize. It's also scary because you can't jump because you're also yeah. afraid of heights. When I'd you're when you're young, that invents. There's that like you have no idea. The mortality yeah. that's like just lurking around the corner, like you, you, At you just, all. which is weird because they're on their way to see the dead body of a absolutely. Kid. That's the irony but it's, to me. It's it's a philosophical idea to them for most of the movie. Of course, there's this. It's this abstract thing. But like to me, yeah. who could imagine something as horrible in this world as a dead kid? I mean, to me, that is what's like so pivotal. So pivotal, and obviously, it's an iconic moment in a movie now. But that's what's so pivotal about the train scene is that like it's facing this mortality that we all deal with like all the time. But when you're a kid, you don't think about that because your life's just starting. Like you don't yeah. like, I think about my own child's mortality. I guarantee you it's never crossed his mind. Like, Oh, never. It's one of those never. things where you're like, I, there is no, and there's no way to cure that. Like it just, and you is don't want him is. to have it. either. No, you don't you like, you because don't want that's, your five-year-old to be thinking about, because that's the end of all that. Stuff. That's the beginning of the end of that innocence too. So because like, when we they know that life it. and that headspace, and it's not good, man. No. It's not like my wife talks about that. How I have this like absurd anxiety of like every scene I see, I'm like, well, this could go wrong. And I'm like, well, I write. And I used to write for a show, a thousand ways to die. And like, my brain is very trained to think about, Oh yeah. I write, I write a lot of horror stuff. That's what I write. And so my brain is trained to see a scene and be like, where's the monster? Mm -hmm. And I do that all the time. It never shuts off. I have a lot of anxiety. I... Right? And so you, you see that, and I'm like, I definitely don't want my kid. Like, I have these neighbors who, I don't want to say they're fucking idiots, but let me put it as they lead unexamined lives, right? Like, they don't, they don't ever seem to have the burden of thinking about the consequences of what they do. I don't want them to then have it, right? Because I know how miserable that is. You want to live in a world where these fucking dummies are free to run around. <laughs> but I think that scene and then the chopper scene, right, are these really pivotal moments in the movie. Because the chopper scene is great where they chopper sick balls, right? They know that this giant junkyard dog is going to kill them. Yeah. And they see it and it's just this cute normal dog. And he has this line where he says, this is where I learned for the first time uh, the difference between myths and reality. And then the immediate thing that follows is Teddy's myth-making about his dad yeah. being crushed as this old man goes in on his dad. And that we watch Teddy just get broken. Yeah. And the movie is this fucking constant assault of the reality crushing the myth. Yeah. 
there's no escaping the reality of it. I think that's the yeah. hardest part about, and that's the hardest part, not just about growing up, but that's the hardest part about all these guys, all these guys in the movies having to face the reality of, I guess maybe, maybe for, no, 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 I'm, I'm right. <laughs> Facing the reality of what, like what we've been talking about, which is like what growing up really is. And like when, mm-hmm. you know, adults aren't, yeah. Like when an adult pockets the lunch money you stole and fucking blames you for it anyways, those kinds of things. Like you're like, Oh wow. Like people who that protect your, that protection you're supposed to have is losing. That is terrifying. Like, I think that's something I never really know. I don't think I'm, I'm not sure I ever really had any. Illusions. I mean, his dad tried to burn his ear off when he was a kid. Well, yeah, like, no, that's wanted well, no. to actually hurt and maim this right. child. No, that's Teddy. Like, I think all of them yeah. have this situation where they all sort of like all their myths become reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the harder part, too, is having to. And I mean, I don't know, like Vern, I feel like Vern is that Vern is trying to keep innocent. Like Vern's he's, trying. He's the kid who seems like he's had it. OK, right. Just surrounded by these kids that have struggled. Right. And we watch, he becomes this Jar Jar Binks-like character to them. <laughs> right? Because they're like, dude, we got real struggles. And Vern's over here talking about a fucking jar of pennies. Yeah. He's drawing a treasure map to his pennies like he's fucking five years old. Well, so maybe- you watch the way when he talks, they look at him like, look at this fucking baby. Right? Look at this fucking idiot baby. I like they're 40-year-old men at a conference, right? Right. <laughs> you know? But I think that's like the reversal is like, they're... They should want to be like Vern, right. but they fucking they, despise him for still having it. They are the old, they are the adults watching that kid. Like you, you yeah. it's almost, it's interesting because to me, it's almost like envy. Right. Like you wish that you could think like that anymore. You wish. Right. You but could then when, when Teddy is like accosted, right. And he's crying, you see Vern and them immediately circle him and like, fuck that old man. He doesn't know shit. He wasn't at Normandy. Absolutely. So Vern knows when he sees them have moments of weakness, he's right there to help protect that and nurture that. Mm-hmm. And I love that the dynamic of these kids, while they talk shit and they fight, there's always that, like, they got each other's back in a way that is really important to me in this movie. Yeah. Because even if on a subconscious level, these kids know the importance of protecting the innocence. Mm-hmm. Even though it is a lost cause, they're going to fucking fight for it. Even at the end when Vern runs, you can't blame him. Because once no. they see that body, to me, the moment they see the dead body, it's over. Yeah. Now they are behaving as adults, right? They have guns, and they're ready to fight, and they he runs mm-hmm. away, which is what he'll do the rest of his life, right? It's a small microcosm of who they're going to become the rest of their lives. Of course. And so I, I really enjoy the way the movie – and again, we have our fun divergences, right? Like the leech on the dick. Um, And he sees blood on his dick, right? There's a really good scene. And this is where, again, I think this is a a gay love story, right? Is the moment when he looks down and grabs his dick and something's there that it's not supposed to be. And there's a scene with him, the way him and Chris look at each other, Mm -hmm. right? It kind of gave me this, like, sexual awakening moment. Interesting. And then Chris is immediately protecting him. He's like, what are you, his mother? And he's like, well, no, he's, he's in love with this guy. Like, he's in love with him in a way that he doesn't understand. And imagine this is set in like the fucking 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. 
I don't really have the visual language to distinguish the 50s and 60s. They kind of look the same to me if it's not hippies, right? And so, like, I don't really know where it is. 50s, 60s. This is definitely I not think, something that societally is okay. I think and we hear people... Kiefer Sutherland call him gay slurs constantly in the movie. Yeah. So it's in the air, right? But I, I think there, right. it's still a fun divergence with the leech that I think has some other layers to it, right? It's fair. So you're saying this is sort of like my own private organ? That's what you're going with? Yes, instead of Idaho, yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That's I, a, that's I a think, precursor. I, I think, because especially the last shot with them when they're back at the treehouse, mm -hmm. and they start talking, right, and it's like, I'll see you, and not if I see you first, right? They're, they're trying to figure out what's what this all means. Right. This is the last time they will see each other as these two. Well, it kind of right? says and a lot. Later, that... as he says, he says like Verno and uh, Teddy, they become just two more faces in the hall. Right. Right. But these two can't do that. They're they're bonded in a different way. Right. Well, to me, I I think it's it's layered in there pretty obviously, but not in a way that because again, they can't be as open as they would want in that time period. Also, they're fucking twelve and probably don't understand their sexuality at all. You know, at that phase, I w that wasn't even something that was on my radar. I had an idea that girls were cool and that I should be trying to date them, but that really just meant that you would say you were going together. Yeah. But never actually talk or hold hands or do anything. It was just like a, it was like collecting Pokemon cards, but with young ladies. <laughs> sure. Right? Like, oh, I'm going with Sarah Walters. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. But next week, I would like to evolve that into going out with Jennifer Lavignette or whatever. Those are just two ran the only two random girl names I remember from my elementary school. So shouts out. Well done. Shouts out, girls. Um, shout out, ladies. Yeah, shout out, ladies who definitely do not. Honestly, if they saw me now, they'd be like, oh, God. He was once such a handsome young buck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Neither here nor there. But I, I think... Again, I, I like that that extra little layering, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think there's the you know again the diversions though, like the the uh, lard ass segment, right? It's such a perfect Gordy story, right? It's such a great metaphor for what they're going through in this movie, yeah, right? Which is a kid who, through no fault of his own, is very uh, overweight. I think they even said he's like he weighed 180 pounds. I was like Jesus, what I wouldn't give. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> And everyone called him lardass. They would beat him up. They're fucking terrible to this kid. Even as he's coming on the stage, the old men in their fucking dumbass antler hats. Yeah. Like a thing I think that is dying out, but was big when I was a kid is like elk lodges and shit. Mm -hmm. Where it was like old men would go to a place where they could drink, but ensure that no women would ever be around. Yeah. Like just a weird idea. Right. And then they, they would go boom, ba, ba, boom as he walks by. Right. Even the mayor's like lardass. Oh, sorry. Like the voice who's trying to be okay. There's a shot of this giant lady in the crowd also insulting him for his weight. Yeah, I'm like, lady. It, it, they paint this really good and clear picture, right? It's it's a childish portrait of bullying. Right. There's no gray area. It's very distinct. And so it's set up at this pie contest, right? And the guy who's like the pie champion is like this tall fucking like probably 32 but looks 55 because he works in a mine or some shit. And he's like, don't you dare win my pie eating contest, boy. And you see everyone fucking traumatizing him. And then he starts going to work and he's eating pies. We find out he drank a whole bottle of castor oil and eggs. Right. And I, it's funny because I always laughed at it, right? All the throwing up is really funny. Yeah. 
When I was watching it last night, I was thinking about how fucking sad that story is. Because it's not a moment of victory for him. Lardass is going to go back to school and they're going to say he threw up and caused all of this tumult. It's another thing that is going to be weaponized against him for the purposes of bullying. Yeah. But that he didn't care because for one moment he got to inflict suffering on all of them. As he even says, right? And then when the smell, the mayor puked on his wife's tits. And then when the smell hit the crowd, that's when Lardass's revenge really happened. And it's like, I, the moment of reveling in this disgusting revenge. Well, but also realizing that you're the one who's also covered in it from head to toe and well, will be for the rest of your time here. I mean, it's, it's funny because it's this, it's this childish, simplistic story. But the weight of that, that to get revenge, he has to first hurt himself. That was really interesting. What I like about, I think what's interesting about the Lardass story is that it is the, it's the ultimate, like, it's the ultimate kid story because you and what you're talking about is the consequences. Right. Like that is the adult. Like, cause I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like this doesn't change. Oh, you're anything. like his Monday at school is going to be brutal. Yeah. So this doesn't change anything. <laughs> I think what's fascinating is. Gordy tells this story that is this great revenge story for children. For children. Like, that I think is the harder, that is the harder thing to grasp. And that's was like, that to me is like, for somebody who's still, who probably is more, is more further along and losing their innocence than the rest of them. Gordy tells a story that he's trying to at least like this is like clearly he's trying trying to to process something even if he doesn't fully understand trying to process something but also trying to hold on to what's left of his innocence because that's an innocent that's an innocent story well the responses are great right because chris is just being the uber supportive like you're a great storyteller that's great yeah Inverno's like, that's great, man. That's great. Did he have to pay to get in? No. Oh, that's great. What a great story. Yeah. And Teddy is the one who goes, what happens next? Yeah. And Gordon goes, that's it. He got his revenge. And Teddy's like, because mm, Teddy knows. Teddy's seen the other side. Yeah. Teddy Teddy knows that there's going to be repercussions for that. Right. Right. So Teddy... he, he understands that, you know, self-damaging nature of the story instinct- right. instinctually. Like, Teddy right? is... So I love that. I love that that moment. Because it's doing so much more work. I just remember it for the vomit cannon. Yeah. But it's doing so much more work than I remembered. It's a great fucking scene in this movie. Right. I, I think that... You know, we haven't talked about Kiefer Sutherland at all. This was kind of <sighs> his jam for a while, was being like the teenage evildoer. Yeah, I mean, like... He's really good at it. I mean, I, if I was going to give... He's very good at it. But also, it's one of those things where I'm like... I understand what he's doing. And I also thought it was cool in Lost Boys and all the other movies. He's well, the done only the only real scene in this movie he has, I guess, is. He's going to burn Chris with a cigarette, but it's probably it's not right. He's it's just when they're at the body and Gordy or it's when he he runs that fucking trucker off the road with the final destination logs like that guy is like an old man who has a job. Yeah. Right? And he has that cool line where he just goes, I won, and swigs a beer. But he's not excited about it. It's like he's building this myth, too. Because the the adult onset is the death of myth-making. Yeah. But he is rebuilding himself as an adult myth. 
that is childlike and is not long or happy in this world, probably. Like, the fact that they made it to adulthood means he either got got or is in jail, probably. Do we ever know how old he is? Because he looks very young. Is he old Yeah, to me, it's like like that right out of high school. Like, McConaughey and Dazed and Confused, where he's like, all right, they're the same. Right, I was going to say, is he like one of these youths? I picture him just right out of or at the end of high school age. Right, so he's one of these youths that is trying to find themselves as a real adult. Like, I think that's... Well, here's, this is what I'd say. What's fascinating is it is this like sort of cracked mirror when they are all sitting, standing there at the body. Cause like, there's the gang, the gang's right there. And then the four boys are literally just looking at these guys sort of as this like, Holy shit. Yeah. All of us could end up like all of us could end up like this. And I think yeah. Kiefer Sutherland's character is what's interesting. I don't even think Kiefer Sutherland's, a cracked mirror for because I think a lot of the times you'd would say would he like have killed that for, kid? Would he have killed him? Would he have killed Chris with the knife? No, if they didn't have the gun. No. Again, that's another kind of reminiscent of the story. It where Bowers carves his name into a yeah, fucking haystack Calhoun or whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was no. an interesting one to me. Is like, would he have done it? Because if he lets these kids talk back to him like that. When a guy who's building his own myth like that puts an ultimatum down and it is not heated, I think he has to fucking maim that kid. I mean, I'm sure what you're saying is true. I don't think he has the gumption to do it, is what I'm saying. Other side of the coin, would Gordo have shot him? No, not at all. On some level, so you think this is two kids, their myths collide, and neither one wants to give up the idea? I I wouldn't even say it's that. I think it's two myths trying to make themselves by playing chicken. Right, which we just saw him do to, I mean, that old guy could fucking be dead in that truck. We don't know. Yeah, but see, that's different. You're punching up towards adults. Right. When you have children, like, this is the thing about... So to even me, he has reverence for the dead kid in a weird way. I think to me, this is the thing about the bullying. The whole concept of bullying in this movie is that it's all a put-on. Mm-hmm. Being a fucking hooligan and running a logging truck off the road, that's an actual crime, and he should be prosecuted for that to the fullest extent of yeah, the law. Because he doesn't kill them after this, he probably was. Yeah. <laughs> but... Basically, we're looking a guy for a guy with the worst fucking tattoo ever on his arm. Oh, them, uh, yeah. Right Have there. you seen this garbage tattoo? He's probably blonde, too. He's right there. Right. right we just saw them hit the at the dime store buying a bunch of fucking Jurassic Park band-aids. Yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> or I guess for that Betty Boot band-aids, those guys right there. I to me, it's one of those things where I, the, it it doesn't further your legend to threaten down. I think that's like kid, yeah. I think that's the bigger. Well, also they're technically the there thing. to be heroes because they found the kid, and so adding another kid to that. Yeah, exactly. There's only supposed to be one body. If you add another yeah. body, there's a difference. Throw his ass in the river, dude. No, there there was these colliding moments, right? Yeah. Where Teddy's willing to fight, Chris is standing his ground. You're gonna have to kill me, almost as if Chris is like asking for it. Which was weird, and then 
that's when Gordo comes in and he's like, this is done. Like, almost as if he is a holy warrior protecting this site. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This kid's body. Like, we're here yeah. for something more. I important. think that's the thing is that's when we see the – that's the Gordy that grows up is the one yeah. who steps in and is like – Once they hit the dead body, they are now all their adult versions, it feels yeah. like. I think Here's that another that's... thing. He has that great line where Gordy's like, I didn't know – He's like, even if they didn't follow me, I was still going to that body. I didn't know then why I had to see that kid. In your mind, why does he have to see that kid? Uh, well, I mean, I this is the thing about Rob Reiner. I don't really think anything's particularly subtle in this movie when it comes to that. I mean, no. to me, to me, the reason he goes and sees the dead him kid. and Stephen King are both not masters of subtlety. <laughs> To me, the I mean, for me, the reason is because he's addressing this unspoken brother death. It's something right. that he. I can't... think there's the line when he sees the body, yeah, where he Why has to, to confront die? this idea, and it's it's another way to confront Denny. He's like, I didn't cry at his funeral, this and that. I think it's another chance for him to remind himself, in a crystal clear sense, mm-hmm. the thing that he can't grapple with, which is. Why do these bad things happen right. to good people? I, well, why did he why says did, why did he have to die? And it's not just about that kid; it's about his brother. Right. It's not just about why do good things happen to bad people. It's why do bad thing why why do bad things happen to good people? It's why do bad things happen to young people? Because I think that's the harder and this right. this is the immortality thing I was getting at. There is nothing more fucking horrific in the world right i remember that quote right where they're like the worst thing you can see in the i can't remember where i heard this or if it's a movie but they talk about when they you see those tiny coffins yeah no and it's something even the most hard and cynical person i think we all agree as a society that it would be great if the oldest went first and it just went down the line yeah right and then you had your life to fucking make your merits but no one on earth i think is stoked that kids can die before older people. Absolutely not. I think most of us, if we're in our 40s, like you or a four-year-old is going to have cancer. I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, it's be more fair if we had it's it. It's me. Like, I think that that's... I, that, but, oh, God. But, I mean, it's, it's the, fucking insane. But that, to me, is what seeing that body, like, un... Like, it's what dislodges from Gordy is this sense of, like... That sense of innocence when you've lost, because yeah. he doesn't. If he doesn't, you know, and he, you know, again, it all comes pouring out. But I think like that's what it is. Is Gordy is so distraught with his brother. Like there's that, and like I've had this happen when people still didn't get his life. fucking Yankee hat back. By the way, yeah, well, big flaw of the movie. Or, is or it, he put away childish things. He put away childish things. Became a man. Yeah, I um. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's I, also, I think it's because he says that thing too, like, my dad hates me. It should have been me. I think it's a way to remind himself that even if it was him, Denny could still get it too. Yeah. That this world, there is no God. There is no overarching force that decides these things. Like, if there's a God, right, and you believe in a God and a protective force, and in this time, that was a predominant kind of cultural thing, right? Is that there's a God above. We go to church on Sunday. We have these families that follow these rules. The moment you see a dead child like that, all your fucking bullshit gets thrown away. You're like, we are in a, we live in nature and it will come for us when it wants. Yeah. 
And it's it's this destruction of that idea of a cosmic parent, right? There, there's no rhyme or reason to anything. Because if it's, there was, you could not explain away why this poor kid had to get fucking killed by a train. Yeah. It's the inevitability of it's the inevitability of life that I think is what's yeah. hard for kids to grapple with. So yeah. when Gordy kids is base everything on it's fair or it's not fair, yeah. and you're like, life is not fair. I ever. think that's the thing is it's the black and whiteness of children's mm-hmm. logic. So when the gray creeps in, it's so hard to readjust your thinking in that way. It's you can't go back to being a child that believes in the rules, right? Right. Exactly. When you're like, that kid got run over for nothing. For nothing. Right. There's well, no rhyme or reason to that. And it's it's this beacon that calls them. That is the, the signifying for it. Even talks about when we when we left and went back home, we pretty much didn't talk. Yeah. That that bond that they shared through the movie is pretty much gone now. Yeah. Um it's fucking sad, man. And at the end, I think when Gordy's saying I never had friends like when I'm twelve, I think it's that. I think he Jesus, he lost a person he really loved. I think that I there's think a lot the- going on in that. His kids are saying, "Let's go to the pool." Like he's now the dad that doesn't see his son as well, um, because he's opining a lost lover. Yeah, I was gonna say actually, it's because he's opining his lost love. Yeah, I mean, I think that opening scene when it hits him, it's it's hard because I think Chris was his first love. Yeah, and I think it's. Because he even says, and again, it's the unfairness of it, that Chris is a guy who just stood up for what was right. Two men got in a fight at fast food, and Chris tried to break them up, got stabbed in the neck, and died almost instantly. Yeah. He didn't get a heroic speech. He didn't get, like, a oh, he did something heroic. He just tried to do something good in the world and was fucking brutally chewed up and spit out. That Chris, this heroic, brave boy we saw the whole movie, just fucking died on the floor of a fast food restaurant for nothing. It's the saddest thing when the... It's the body that he really wishes he could go visit one more time. It's gone. Yeah. It's right? the saddest... It's this adult version of that journey. It's the saddest existential... Yeah. It's the saddest like existential like face-to-face you have to do, which is that people can... It... It's not right. And fucking horrible, but people can die for nothing. They almost exclusively die for nothing. <laughs> like, there, there's no rhyme or reason. Like, once you're like 80 plus years old, you had a great life. Yeah. Right? Hopefully, you had a great life, but at least you had a long life. You had enough years to try to do what you wanted in life. There's no rhyme or reason for why people get cancer when they're 30. Yeah. Right? I just had this thing, it fucking freaked me out. There was a friend of mine from college. We didn't know each other well. More like drinking buddies, right? Mm-hmm. But I saw her in L.A. She drove me back to my apartment in Hollywood. We had a really fun night. I said goodbye. Never saw her again. A couple years later, I was like, why is everyone posting on her page on Facebook? She had gotten cancer and right after, kind of like not long after we had hung out the last time, died when she was in her young 30s. Mm-hmm. And now, just the other day, it popped up. It's her birthday. Her Facebook account is, like, still active. And mm-hmm. asking, it's like, hey, it's Emily's birthday. And you're like, but fuck, she's not with us anymore. And I was like, there's no rhyme or reason for that. She was a great, great person. Yeah. Right? And I didn't know her well enough to, like, you know, fucking write sonnets and shit. But just a great, warm, awesome addition to the human race that was fucking taken young, man. 
And there's there's no fucking rhyme or reason to that. And I think that's the the real fucking subtle, not subtle. It's not subtle at all. That is the Negan's baseball bat of this movie is that it is fucking draped in these good times, this American ideal time, right? When people are like, we want to go back. This is the era they're always thinking of. We want to be kids again. This is what they're imagining. Yeah. And reminding us that the fucking undiscerning jaws of life were there too. Yeah. There's I no think rhyme or reason. I think the reason for me that, and so like I mean, 12 and 13 year olds we should just love unabashedly because it's gonna yeah. go sometime i think that's the only way i think that's the lesson from the movie for me is just the thing you can retain from your youth you don't have to stay innocent or quote unquote dumb yeah the thing you can. you can retain from your youth though is to just love whoever it is that you want to love man that's okay yeah love often love love always. copiously right like Try to give some good back to the world because there's no fucking help for any of us. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it sounds terrible, but that's kind of the a, a lesson of being an adult. It's quite true. Right? There's no rhyme or reason why a parent should lose a child, why a, a, a kid should lose his brother who's about to become a good human. At sea. Like, there's no rhyme or reason to this thing. But Gordo wouldn't take away the time he had with Denny. Right? Yeah. Who taught him how to be a good guy and love openly. And that's all we get, man. That's it. So that that's would be it. our lesson that we need to learn ourselves and you guys. Just fucking be out there loving, man. One other lesson to yeah. know. This movie was almost directed by Adrian Lynn after he had finished nine and a half weeks. So Ooh. Rob Reiner, thank you. <laughs> that would have been almost too brutal. Yeah, I think so. Like, that would have been too brutal of a version of this movie. It's also kind of sad. We we can't really end the episode without addressing kind of the elephant in the room when you talk about this movie. Is that River Phoenix died young and tragically. He did. Very tragically. Uh, had some struggles. Died from an addiction problem. Mm -hmm. um, kind of, we were talking about this before the show, left kind of cracked open Hollywood at the time. Like, he was, was the, going to be this... He was, like, the guy He was the. It, he was yeah. on the verge. He was... And was his 20, passing away let Leo come into Titanic. There was, like, this big fucking so ripple died, effect of him. He died at 23. Horrible. Such... And this is one of the great kid performances. He's so fucking electric in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he was... He was so great, man. He was a he truly was in, great... Yeah. His death, I think, was so shocking because it happened so publicly... Like, yeah. I think that's, like, the other part, too, is, like, at that point, the, like, kind of seedy underbelly of Hollywood was pretty much kept under wraps at that point. Like, and this was in 93, so, like, at it that was point... It was pre-social media, so, like, you knew, but you didn't see. Right, it wasn't a thing that you saw, so when it happened, it was so terrifying and shocking, because that was, like, you know... That was right. I think so. He had done My Private Idaho, and I don't remember when the movie Sneakers came out, but I think he had. But I think that was after My Private Idaho. But he was in Sneakers too. Um, there's just a lot of stuff. You know, this was this is young Indiana Jones too. Like this is a guy who people fucking loved. This guy. And well, young Indiana Jones was SPF, but it, well, the TV in the TV show. Yeah, I'm saying the TV movie. show, but. He, yeah, like he really did. His absence led to so many careers. And also because of what happened to him, 
changed a lot of trajectories, I think. Like Keanu Reeves and him were very close. And it had a, obviously a profound effect on Keanu Reeves in a lot of ways. So it's, it's I, just I horrible know. in general. But and it, it becomes this fucking ghastly presence in the movie. Yeah. To know that this kid, Chris, that we're watching in real life also died young and tragically, kind of like Chris in the movie. Yeah. It's just something that you can't really watch this movie anymore without that specter of the film, which actually adds a lot of weight to the journey we're doing. Yeah. Um, I think what's. Because it is one of my favorite, like, group of kids cast. Yeah. I think without. They're so good. I think without River Phoenix, there would not. If River Phoenix had lived depending on what kind of help he would have been able to get i would say there probably would not have been a leonardo dicaprio if the river phoenix was still oh there. yeah there there probably would have there probably so would have been but to a much less later degree. it became the thing right christian bale had that quote where he's like all of us owe our careers to leo saying no to things yeah but it's just it's a fucking well, christian bale sad and tragic and- thing Christian Bale and Joaquin Phoenix, ironically, both speak on this a lot in interviews where they're just like, whenever Leo was doing an inter- was doing an audition, we'd all pretty much be all right, so we're not going to get it. But like, yeah. River Phoenix was that guy for Leonardo DiCaprio because like yeah. at least two major movies that Leonardo DiCaprio that made Leonardo DiCaprio's career were things that River Phoenix was going to do, which was Basketball Diaries and Titanic. Yeah. So it just sucks, man. It does. It sucks. And it it just adds an extra fucking realism to the movie. Um, That's the thing, guys. Love often, love hard, love wide. Be kind to fucking people. It's hard out here. It's indiscriminately brutal for people. Right. And there's no help coming. So we can only help ourselves by being nicer to each other. That's it for one of the happiest episodes we've ever done on the film. (laughs) Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. We're very excited for the pods on summer break curation. I think we got some really fun choices for you. We have really awesome movies going on over on Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash film alchemist pod. More awesome content. The ability to help shape the show. The ability to help us uh, support the show and grow the show. So we appreciate it. Patreon.com slash film alchemist pod. Uh, the YouTube is Film Alchemist. Like and subscribe over there. Uh, follow all the social, share stuff. Send an episode to a movie-loving friend. We'll take it from there. Uh, share on socials, all that kind of stuff. The email, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Get at us if you want to talk. We're easy to get a hold of, and we appreciate it. Oh, uh, yeah. That's Very it. Tough. We'll see you next time.